0: Hello and welcome into another episode of the 3 to 1 podcast. I am your host, Matt Alexander. This is episode four and our special guest today that we have is uh, Dr. Chuck Alexander, also known as Dr. A or Coach Alexander. Um, And to me, he is my dad. So um, Dr. Chuck owns and runs a practice in Montrose, Colorado. He is an orthodontist. He's also been a football coach, and he is, has a great story to share with us today, and uh, he is one, a very special person in my life, and some I've always looked up to. So, Dr. Chuck, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, Mac, I'm good. It's exciting to to be on this with you, man. I'm, I'm uh, really excited and impressed.
0: Oh, there's nothing. It's, this is easy. This is easy stuff. I'm happy. able to get this done. I know we talk all the time, but you're a very busy individual with a lot of stuff going on. So I appreciate you taking your time to talk to us and share your story with everybody listening. Oh, I'm I'm excited. It's my pleasure for sure. All right. So let's just get started with people out there who don't know. Let's talk about what it means to be an orthodontist and kind of, I guess, the thing you enjoy the most about straightening people's teeth.
1: You know, when you think of an orthodontist, I mean, most people think of, you know, getting your teeth straight, losing retainers, they make a lot of money, but the the, the really cool thing about orthodontics is that you affect people directly and you help them as they develop, you know, you start working with a young person around eight Sometimes you don't finish them until, uh, you know, they're like 15. And so you just see the, the maturation and the growth of individuals and, you know, little boys coming into young men and the same for the ladies. And it's, uh, it's a, it, you really have a platform to really impact uh, your patients. And then as a result, you have an impact in your community uh, because of the just the people you get to know and the, um, the reputation that you can build. So yeah, orthodontics, it's a, it, you know, it's a science to an extent you're, you know, you're known as a doctor, but uh, the impact it has on, on people uh, is extraordinary. And so um, it's definitely more than just being a doctor, at least in my mind, for sure.
0: Oh yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's a great great explanation that's uh and something I got to live out and got to see you know not only with you straightening my teeth but straightening people I grew up with and you know different people within the community as well um so before we get started I want to make sure you're sure that people can't see it says Smile First 2021 and I know Smile First has been kind of the motto of your office for a while but kind of talk to us more what Smile First 2021 means
1: yeah it's uh actually my wife your mom carrie uh saw this shirt somewhere i'm not sure where she saw it and so we kind of just stole the stole it and so for about the last i don't know 20 20 years or so we've been handing out t-shirts with just say smile first and then on the back has our logo you know and we uh have an incentive for our patients to wear the shirts. We give it to every patient, and if they wear the shirt, then they get a, a extra tokens that we do that you can use to buy different things from our token case and that kind of thing. And so it's been a it's been a really number one a fun thing, but also uh, the the whole background of it is um, again about influencing and affecting people and you know, when we talk about faith and hopefully we'll get into that, but, you know, smile first is like the, like the first step in presenting the gospel uh, to another person. And when I mean gospel, I'm saying, you know, God's son, Jesus, who came to this earth, died for us and was resurrected. And that, that joy, that hope, um, that what we have to look forward to at the end of our lives is so important uh, to me and I know to you and I'm sure a lot of your uh, listeners, but smile first. That's the first thing you you do when you're presenting the gospel is you smile. And, you know, I don't go around telling everybody this, but Mm -hmm. that is the, the, the underlying meaning of smile first. Then with this year, so you can imagine everybody's had these shirts for the last 20 years, now our shirts and they're usually gray. Now our shirts are red and they say smile first 2021. And people that have been wearing our shirts, they get it instantly because it's like oh yeah, we've been doing this the whole time, but because it's 2021, we're really going to smile first, you know. Yeah. So it's you kind of have to, you know, be in the neighborhood to know what we're kind of getting at, but that's that's what it's all about. Smile first 2021 you know
0: Yep. no i love it and it's probably been you know the biggest thing in this whole COVID era with masks and everything the thing you don't get to see are people's faces and their smiles and it's been it's kind of like i i saw someone the other day who had one of those masks that was clear you could actually see them smile and it was just so refreshing because you don't get to see that all the time just you know you walk by someone down the street or bump into someone in a grocery store you don't get to see that expression i think it um you know, it can affect you and then it can affect the way you feel about people and stuff too. So I, th-
1: yes, a huge, your, your statement is so correct. I mean, how, you know, how much we read other people, you know, and in, in my office, I mean, I'm seeing, you know, you're probably around, you know, 80 to 90 different people every day. And, and if you can't see their face, it's very hard to communicate and see if they're understanding or how they're feeling about it. I mean, it's, yeah, eyes don't do it all. So I'm with you, man. Let's get rid of the mask.
0: For sure. It'll, it'll happen. It's going to happen here soon. Okay, so let's go back to your childhood growing up. Um, for all you don't, people who don't know, you know, you grew up in the great state, state of Texas. And so it's kind of walk us through what it was like growing up in Texas. Um, and, you know, your parents and kind of got how you just kind of got started in whole athletics, just into there. We'll just kind of go from there. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I was born uh, in Houston, but was raised in Arlington, Texas there in between Dallas Fort Worth where the Cowboys are and the Texas Rangers. Um, And, you know, we started off as a modest family in a little neighborhood. And then when I was probably, you know, six or seven, we moved to a little bit nicer neighborhood, uh, actually right on a golf course, you know, and um, so I, I was, my dad was an orthodontist. And so kind of, I lived the mat, the life you lived mm-hmm. for growing up with, you know, a well-respected father and, and a great mom. We had a really, I mean, I had a great childhood. I mean, you know, we had our issues, but it was for the most part, real positive. And, uh, but you know, Texas, you know, I didn't know anything else but Texas. So, you know, when you're in Texas, you know, there's other states, but you know that they're not as good as Texas. That's just how it is. And everybody thinks that way, at least, especially back then, there's been a lot more people move in over the years uh, since I left. But so you don't really understand Texas and how cool it is until you leave. And, uh, and so I got to experience that later on, but obviously sports were huge in Texas and, um, Uh, actually the first sport I started playing was soccer because we started playing soccer in third grade. And and this was back in the, you know, this is like the seventies, man. And (laughs) soccer was just kind of getting going in the United States. And it was really only going like in North Texas. We didn't have when we first started, there wasn't like a state championship. It was only a North Texas championship. And so, you know, playing soccer and, and it, turned out to be all the guys that played soccer were the guys that played football and so we would play football in the fall and then we play soccer in the spring and you know by the time we got in high school I mean we had won you know North Texas like three or four different times and you know we'd play football at the high school then we'd go do our club teams after and you know so soccer was was what I got started on you know Mm -hmm. and I think that was good I mean you know it worked so good works on your feet and, and move in and again, working as a team, but then in, um, then fourth grade, we started playing football and, um, you know, really fourth through sixth grade, I lost, we lost one football game our whole life, you know, and, and I just remember that game it was like the worst thing ever happened to us, but we were city championships the other years and we ran the wishbone and I was the quarterback and, uh, I mean, we we ran the true triple option back then. I mean, I'd read the tackle and then read the end or pitch it. And we, you know, pitched it a ton. And we yeah. had, you know, good running backs and, and you know, we'd always kick extra points even in, you know, fourth and fifth and sixth grade. And, um, you know, and it was set up for all that too. I mean, we had nice fields and, you know, Go ahead, goal posts, And, you know, unlike when you were growing up, I mean, we're out playing in the cow pasture, but um, – <laughs> It was uh it, you know it was I wouldn't say big time, but I mean it was serious. I mean, ever, you know, we had all the it's like a college game, all the preps and the cheerleaders and pom-poms and all that stuff was every time you played, you know. So yep. it was fun. It was fun. I, I have good memories from that. I didn't play I didn't start playing basketball till like in junior high, but um, but you know, football and soccer is where it all started for me.
0: Yeah, for sure. So you fell in love with sports at an early age. I mean, I know our our grandpa and your dad, um, Wick Alexander, obviously played collegiate sports as well and kind of got you into it. So going into high school, did you always want to go play college ball? Was that your plan, college football? Um, What were you kind of thinking going into high school?
1: Yeah, I I stayed a quarterback my whole life, all through junior high. And and, uh, so I was planning on, Number one, I wanted to be the quarterback, okay? Um, My dad, like Max said, he was a big Texas Tech fan, and my mom went to Texas Tech. My granddad went to Texas Tech, all my aunts and uncles. My great-great-aunt got the second degree from Texas Tech. So I got totally brainwashed, man. I mean, I had no idea. All I knew was Texas Tech, and I knew I didn't want to go to UT. I knew I didn't want to go to Baylor, TCU, A&M, SMU, Anybody that was in the Southwest Conference, I just hated because that's how I was trained. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, uh, so I'd say, I mean, it, it was always a dream uh, to play college football. And, uh, you know, it, it, my quarterback thing, though, kind of got smashed or I uh, broke my foot in ninth grade and after about two games. And so the second string quarterback uh, took over. So then, when we go to the high school as sophomores, um, and again it, in Texas, it was a JV team, just all sophomores pretty much, um, and we fought for the quarterback position, and the coach picked the other guy, and I mean it was just devastating. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And they, but they, at least the coach was smart enough to know one thing: this guy can play somewhere, so they put me on defense as a free safety. And I mean, I don't know if it's just because I was just so pissed off all the time because I didn't, wasn't playing quarterback, but had a great year. End up as a JV, um, oh, as a free safety, I ended up being the most valuable player on the team. I mean, it was just like ridiculous and had a bunch of interceptions and learned how to hit people and just, you know, would just come flying down the alley and just light people up and get to the ball. So, so then I go, we go our junior year and, um, you know, I knew I wanted to play safety and then I wanted to be quarterback, but we had a really stud quarterback. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, Mr. Brown was his last name. And, um, <laughs> anyway, so I, but I did win the second, I was a backup quarterback. So whenever he got hurt or any other time, I always went in. I mean, the quarter, the, the coach was great. Like I'd come in and, um, you know, we'd throw like a bomb or something. I mean, it was like, you know, he just, I don't know. He trusted us to just to go do it. But anyway, had a great junior year as a safety was all district. And um, again, had like, I don't know, I think I had eight interceptions or something like that. They just didn't know I was back there really. And (laughs) then my, so my senior year, my plan was um, I was going to play safety and uh, quarterback. And, That doesn't really happen much in Texas. I'm sure it happens. But um, anyway, same thing happened. The other guy beat me out. And so I got stuck on defense and I just, you know, I just went nuts and played hard. And, you know, again, whenever they wanted me to come in, I'd come in and throw a pass or something and try to make a big play. But um, so, yeah, so by the time I got to be a senior, I was thinking, yeah, I think I want to play some college ball. Was getting recruited a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tech was recruit me, but I think it's because my dad was paying them, so <laughs> I don't think that was anything special, but Baylor talked to me. Uh, University of Texas at Arlington at that time where I was living, they had a football program. Um, Stephen F. Austin. So I had a few opportunities, but nothing, nothing special. I mean, I was a good high school player, but that's mm-hmm. about as much as you could say.
0: Okay, well, because <laughs> just because I know where you where you ended up, you weren't just a good high school player. Um, so you talk about getting recruited. You didn't really, you know, you got brainwashed just like I, I got brainwashed growing up. And <laughs> it, it was great. And <laughs> we can talk about that later. But, um, but you wanted to go to Tech. So I, I know the story, but... You didn't get the opportunity you wanted, so you ended up walking on at Texas Tech. Correct?
1: That's correct. Yeah. All
0: right. Walk us through kind of going, you know, going and playing at that time the Southeastern Conference and being a walk-on. Oh, it was a Southwestern Conference. Southwestern My fault. Western
1: Conference, Southwest Conference. That's what they called it. Southwest, Southwest
0: Conference. Back in the day. Um, so you went to Tech. You walked on the football team. Who was the head coach that you played for? Uh, Jerry Moore.
1: Jerry Moore um, just got hired. He'd been, uh, I think, North Texas, and so Tech brought him in, and he brought this young staff. I mean, looking back, these guys—they were young and inexperienced, and uh, but it was, you know, we did okay. It was good. Yeah, Yeah. Jerry Moore, though.
0: So being a walk-on at that time, kind of, what was it like? You know, with the new staff. But they brought in a bunch of guys. Um, you come in as being a walk-on, you know, walk-on DB. You know, how did you go about kind of earning your spot? And, um, you know, you ended up earning a scholarship. How did, how did you earn that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I you know, I've never been the fastest or strongest, but I've always been in shape. And so the first thing we had to do when we, you know, as, as freshmen walk-on, is you had to, you know, do the little, uh, you know, run two miles and do the agilities and the shuttles and all that. And so it started, I mean, it started there because, you know, I was able to compete with those dudes. And as soon as I figured out that, then, you know, I was just going to get after it and do the best I could. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the we were the true, you know, the walk-ons, we, our lockers were in the visitor locker room and, you know, we weren't with the rest of the freshmen and, um, but, you know, I knew some people, so that was good. Okay. Uh, yeah. One of my classmates from Arlington went up there with me and he walked on and became, uh, he, he was our kicker later on when he, he made it. He should have been, he should have played corner. He was like the best athlete I've ever known. I mean, he, in high school, there was an article that came out after he had done all these things that goes, his name was Ricky Gann, he goes, Gann does everything but sell popcorn at the game, you know, and I mean, he scored a touchdown, uh, running the ball, he caught a touchdown, and he had an interception, punt return, and kick field goals, just a really stud athlete, yeah, anyway, we were up there together, so I had a little bit of a friend there, but made friends really quick, and um, even the guys on varsity were real, real positive to us, and encouraging, and I still know some of the walk-on guys that I walked on with and um, so one of the most meaningful things I remember are hard things uh, as a freshman you know back then they had we actually had a freshman team and we would play like New Mexico military or Ranger junior college and Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time they would come to Lubbock and play us there but so we got to play some, and I played a lot of safety. I, played, I even played quarterback a little bit a couple times when they didn't have anybody to go in there. So uh, so that was always fun. But my big memory of uh, first time in pads, and we started hitting, and we, you know, just the, the same lines we do right now, you, you know, get in the DB stance, pedal, stick, and go come up and hit somebody, and you both run together. Uh, was Ted Watts he was tackling me Ted Watts was an all-American first round draft pick for the Raiders and he was known for just be, lighting up people you know and mm-hmm. that's the guy that tackled me first and uh, I was just like oh my gosh but I got up and so I just you know you know I was a true scout teamer man I would do anything I'd play safety I remember playing on the um, – I remember playing nose guard. I mean, outside backer, just whatever they wanted us to do, we just tried to, you know, make the, make the offense better. So, yeah, yeah. So then going into the spring of my freshman year, um, that's when I kind of got to, got to play with the big guys. And, uh, you know, I don't know what Tech was thinking, but Ted Watts, like I told you, he graduated. He was playing free safety. Well, they didn't have anybody they didn't have anybody to play there, and so I got some reps, and I of a sudden, you know, started flying around, hitting some people, and you know, when, when pads crack, coaches notice it, man, and all of a sudden, I was like second string, and then I was first string, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of crazy, <laughs> and uh, so that's, so by the end of spring, I was uh, going back and forth between first and second string, and so they uh, that was kind of the rule back then. If you got into the your number one or two, you could they give you a
0: scholarship. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's how I got it. So.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, do you think, you know, looking back, being a walk on and I see walk ons all the time, you, you kind of figure out the ones who are going to stick and who might not stick just based on kind of their work ethic and how they approach every day. I mean, do you think going back and being a walk on and earn your way into that scholarship spot kind of helped you, you know, with the, with all the success you've had in your business and practice, um, be successful?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if it's just because I was just dumb because <laughs> you know, or I just didn't want to let anybody else down or because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't plan on quitting. I was going to make the, make it somehow, you know, and, yeah. uh, Um, so, but, you know, you think in your life, when you run through your life and you have obstacles that come up and, you know, adversity, I mean, yeah, you fall back on times when you, you know, went through the hard stuff and you, you, you did it. And so absolutely it's had made a huge impact on my life going from a walk on to, you know, getting to start for Texas Tech University.
0: So what about that first start? What do you remember of your first game, you know, in, is it, was it eight, it wasn't and Stadium back in the day, but what, what is it? What now it what my
1: first, day? my first game was uh, at Folsom field here in Colorado oh. and, uh, against CU. Then, yeah, I was freaking scared to death. <laughs> that's, that's how I felt. And um, I was playing, I was free. And then, uh, uh, we had a senior playing uh, strong safety, and he helped me, uh, take Randall, he ended up playing a little bit pro ball, and, you know, and he, you know, you know how safeties help each other, and kind of take care, and He so he did a great job, the problem was, we both got burned on play action like crazy, I mean, we would, I guess we were just so amped up, that we were just flying up, and they were just throwing it over our heads, <laughs> and, uh, but it wasn't just me, it was him too, but yeah it was not a good experience <laughs> not a good experience the best memory I have of that game though is um you know back then you know in Texas you couldn't bring any alcohol or buy any alcohol or anything at games and so you know people snuck it in and stuff but mostly no one was you know intoxicated at all yeah well so yeah. We're there at CU, and I'm on the sidelines getting ready to play, and all my fraternity brothers are on, the, like, the fifth row right behind me, just yelling, yeah, John, hey, they're all drinking beer, and just totally wasted. And I just remember, <laughs> wow, what a difference, you know, between uh, conservative Texas Tech and CU Boulder. So um, that was a, that's my first memory, other than feeling like I'm – I mean, it it killed me after that game. I, it was horrible. I just, I still remember just how
0: horrible I felt, and yeah, it was not good. Not a good memory. <laughs> no, it was pretty cool though. It might have been, uh, you know, where you fell in love with Colorado because of all the alcohol. Well, maybe so. <laughs> um, so you played the next three years. You know, you got to play in a lot of different games, play a lot of different teams you know, what was, I guess, one of the best memories you had kind of playing for Tech, playing safety for Tech, and, you know, Tech to me is just a special place in Lubbock. It's just, it's like a fraternity. It's one of those schools where you got to be a part of it to love it, um, and that's what makes it special, and I, I just, you know, I, playing there was always a dream of mine growing up, so what was what was it like? What was your best memory, I guess, from playing there?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I mean, a bunch of memories. I mean, you know, getting to suit up for my first time. Uh, you know, that's even as a freshman, they let, a, let me suit up one game somehow. And uh, um, we we're playing North Carolina and Lawrence Taylor's on the other side of the ball. I mean, I had no idea that was him, but I, I vividly remember looking out there and seeing somebody with a really dark face against those white um, face masks. And I'm like, man, that guy looks mean. And then we go to Baylor and it's um, Singletary, you know, doing the same thing, and so those are kind of memories, not really playing, but just seeing people, and yeah, the, you know, after started my uh, sophomore year, I got, I hurt my neck, which was a huge thing, we could talk about that later, but, so I had to kind of, I started and played a lot, and then I didn't play, because my neck, and so I ended up having to work back in as a junior, and that happened at A and m you know, somebody got hurt and I got a chance to go in there and I made some, you know, really good hits. And, you know, we were playing Gary Kubiak and the Aggies down there and um I, you know, I got a great picture. We were blitzing him all the time. I got smacking him right in the face. I remember that. And so that was a big turning point again in my career. We're not, you know, hurt my neck thinking it wasn't even gonna play anymore and then all of a sudden got back in the mix. And um, so that was really cool. You know, we played um, Eric Dickerson and Craig James, and that was fun getting to, well, not really fun, but I mean, those guys, they were big and big old legs. Just, we would just force them every time they came your way, we would just go for pitch. And that was your job. My job is just take them out even if they didn't pitch it to them and, mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, this is like, his legs were like telephone poles. I mean, just huge. Um, you know, I had a couple of interceptions, had an interception in Arkansas. I guess getting intercepted in Texas, that was a great, great memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of overthrew a little stop, and I was stick foot and came running up and kind of dived and caught it. So, you know, and then your friends, I mean, you know, the the people you play with and, um, I said earlier there you know, was this, a strong um, group of Christian uh, athletes on the team and, you know, upperclassmen. And so it wasn't – it was kind of cool to be a Christian, which was great for me because I needed it. And, and a fellowship of Christian athletes, FCA was um, – I got involved in that, and that's really where I truly accepted the Lord as a as a sophomore. So, I mean – football memories great people memories even greater you know because i met my wife that same sophomore year and um you know carrie and i've been married like 35 years now or something so it's um texas tech was was good to me
0: well that's awesome you know i'm glad you went to tech i'm glad i'm a part of tech in a little small piece but that's a a lot of great plays and a lot of them I've seen on tape. I remember watching it growing up, just different hits and, um, you know, wanted to be like that too. So, all right. So you're coming to the end of your career. When did you decide you wanted to call um, to chase the whole orthodontics route? You know, you said earlier that your dad, my grandpa was orthodontist. His brother was also an orthodontist. Um, and so when did you decide that that's what something you wanted to do as well and kind of go down that path and more schooling and get into the straightening teeth
1: yeah so as a kid you know I was with my dad he'd always and my mom take us to different meetings and as orthodontist meetings and so you would kind of see the other people and kind of figure out the lifestyle you know they they were living and but when I went to school I I hadn't I didn't want to do anything with an orthodontist I wanted to I think I wanted to be a builder I was in the engineering program and Went in there for orientation and they said, if you young people have any plans of doing anything else but studying for be to be an engineer, then you need to leave. <laughs> and, and I saw so because I, I want to play football. I was in a fraternity. I mean, I'm like, OK, I'm out. <laughs> so I left and kind of undeclared. And then my junior year, I decided to just say, you know, it's pretty good what my dad does, you know, and uh, I think that might be a good option for me, so that's kind of when I decided, and, uh, you know, I'd made decent grades, and took the DAT, and, and, um, you know, in Texas, there's, like, three great dental schools, and so I got a chance to to go to dental school, and uh, really not knowing that much about dentistry at all. All I knew was a little bit about orthodontics, but, like, pulling teeth, or dentures, or my crown, I had no idea what all that stuff was. So uh it was um obviously a huge decision, but definitely the right decision.
0: Yep. So you went to dental school and um for those of you who don't out there, dental school is a four-year program, correct? And you went to Baylor Dental School, which isn't in Waco, it's actually in Dallas, isn't it? And um during this time. did you get married to my mom? Um, You know, kind of how did you guys, I mean, because you're going to school for four years and it's not like dental school, you don't always have time to necessarily have a job or anything. So um, how did you guys survive? When did you, you know, marry my mom and stuff like that? So,
1: Yeah, so Carrie and I met like um, as freshmen. We were in a, a biology class together. So number one, that's weird, but number two, my wife's never been in a science class in her whole life, and so, uh, but we were in the class, and then I was in the lab with her, and that's where I kind of started seeing her, and say, man, she's a pretty cute girl, and, um, and, but she was totally different than anybody I've been around before, because she was real, uh, kind of like a, kind of like a hippie you know she'd wear those button-up jeans and long hair and uh, but just real like peaceful and and sweet Uh, but then she you know when you you get crossways with her she'd definitely stand up for herself and that kind of thing so we met I mean like our first year there and and so we she always she had a boyfriend though so she would keep her boyfriend. And then occasionally she'd go out with me, um, her first, the first year we were there. And then by the end of our second year, I think we started dating pretty much all the time and, and and we're getting pretty serious as we were seniors. Um, but we didn't really talk much about marriage because I was going to school. So she always tell her that she followed me to Dallas and she started working for Baylor hospital. And, um, And so, yeah, and in that first year of dental school, I just got after it because it's like you got to make the grades to get into ortho school. Um, But um, by the end of that first year, we were talking and kind of going back and forth. What do we need to do next? And she was convinced we need to get married. And I wasn't convinced at that time. So this was like in May. So we actually broke up in May. And... For the next uh, five months, it was just misery for me. I think she kind of enjoyed it, not having me around. <laughs> but I just had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I you know, knew I wanted to get into ortho school. And then in those five months, I figured out that I wanted to marry her. And so long story short, I surprised her. Uh, and we got, you know, we weren't even dating in November, but I asked her to marry me. And, uh, and she said, yes. So that was a good thing. So it was a kind of a, you know, I mean, like you said, it's a hard place to have relationships when you're in dental school, you have to really work at it, but turned out good. She was great. And we, um, yeah, so we got married and came back to Dallas and finished up and then we went on to, to the next step.
0: And the next step First, first of all, I haven't heard that story in a long time. I forgot that you guys broke up and you just proposed to her like that. That's uh, it's pretty epic right there. Um, but so the next step was go to ortho school. So you're in dental school for four years and you have to go to ortho school now. Um, did, you, did you guys want to go somewhere different? Because you ended up going up to Seattle and went to the University of Washington. Did you guys want to do something different? Um, it was just you want to get out of Texas, explore the country or... Or just kind of how did that decision come about?
1: Yeah, um, very, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We, you know, I mean, I, I was able to make the grade, so I had opportunities. I mean, Baylor at, there in Dallas is a great, they had a great school. You know, my uncle was the chairman. My dad taught. I mean, it was, they wanted me. Uh, but I got to go to other places like North Carolina and Michigan and Iowa and then Seattle and, I don't know. I really think the Lord just said, man, you need to do something different because at, if I'd have stayed at Baylor, I would have learned. I mean, I've learned a great, it'd been great, but I was able to come back from Washington and learn from my dad, pretty much what I'd learned at Baylor, I think. And so it gave me a whole uh, different perspective, uh, a viewpoint, all the different people. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, that wasn't our goal when we started was to get out of town, but um, that's kind of that's what the Lord led us to. And so uh Seattle was a great place, a great program, and then a cool place to live, it's totally different than Texas. I mean oh,
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. most
1: people think Texans are just, you know, hicks and uh which compared to Seattle, we are <laughs> and uh But, uh, yeah, I took a little getting used to when we uh, moved up there. But um, looking back, it was one of the best things. Mm -hmm. Again, really good friends and great education, a lot of opportunities as a result of it. So Mm -hmm. so I really wouldn't say it was like our goal to get out of town, but um, it turned out to be a really good decision.
0: But you guys were just led there and then obviously you know you spent six years I mean yeah six extra years after your undergrad in school um married I think it was awesome you guys go got to go to Seattle you know I've been to Seattle a few times and it's completely different than Dallas and just Texas um you know that's where I was conceived so I'm happy about yeah. that um, so you're done with ortho school you know luckily you know you have your dad um to come you know did you always want to come work come work back for your dad and get started back in Texas or you know did you want to did, I, did, I, mean, I don't know this did you want to start your own thing right away or what was that yeah i i um just to give you a little perspective my dad at
1: that time was probably in the orthodont profession like one of the top two or three uh orthodontist in the world from a perspective of teaching lecturing writing books um you know a clinical clinical work i mean he just he had done a lot uh for the profession and the profession had given him a lot so he was traveling all over the world um you know and he had his own we call it the alexander discipline so own technique and own bracket braces system so i mean it was i understood i needed to come back because I wanted to know, I wanted to learn that system, you know? And I remember in school, we'd have these little seminars and there were small rooms with about like 10 people in and we would, then there'd be an instructor and they'd go over cases with you and stuff. And, um, you know, just to kind of let you know what people thought I was gonna do, the instructor would say, hey, Chuck, what would you do with this case now? your dad's out of town, so you got to make all the decisions, you know, and uh, so I think it was just kind of, you know, expected that I was going to go back just because it was such a a great opportunity, and and that's the way I looked at it, too, it was, and it really was a great opportunity uh, to be able to have the education in Seattle and then come back and work side by side with my dad um, not only just for our relationship, but just from a professional relationship. Um, you know, he had amazing practice, amazing staff, just the whole, you know, smile first. He didn't say smile first, but that was basically what they did. And the customer service was unbelievable. Learn how to run a business, you know, with all the overhead and dealing with staff. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it was good, definitely good.
0: That is awesome. I can just imagine you two working together and how, you know, I've been in that office a few times and just how, you know, you guys are very similar and just being so it was just probably just awesome. People to come in there, look forward to coming and seeing you guys. You know, if it's anything like your office, um, it's probably a special time for all those people. So how long were you in Texas working for your dad? Uh, six years, six years, learned a six lot. Years. And then you can explain this, but I know you felt kind of called to do your own thing, kind of go off. So walk us through that process and, you know, what led you coming to the small town of Montrose, Colorado? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like I said, from, from a professional standpoint, I had one of the best setups ever, you know, uh, as far as learning and having patients, quality patients and interesting patients, working with other dentists and getting to know orthodontists all over the world. I could, you know, I could go, once I started working my dad's office, people were asking me to come lecture, you know? I mean, I didn't even know how to spell orthodontist, much less teach it, you know? And, um, but it was just a great opportunity. And, um, but on the other side of it, you know, I was married, you were born right when we started back. I mean, you were born um, after I'd been working for like a month or something. And, um, and it was a business, I mean, you know, um, and I understand all this now, but I mean, my dad, you know, compared to like my buddies that got out of school, um, you know, I, I wasn't making like even half what they were making, you know, and they just started their own thing after six years. And, but I was buying into the practice. And again, I had, um, I had, um, so much to i've learned you know that you can't really um, pay for i guess is the best way to say it so but so that was one thing and then you know we're our family Carrie, and me and you um, we were kind of feeling a little bit like the lord was asking us and telling us that we need a change and you know i'd never thought about it and just after we've been there about four years um Carrie and I were having a discussion probably wasn't the best discussion I'm sure but uh, um, and I looked at Carrie and I said we got to move don't we and she said yes and uh, at that time we were you know we were in counseling we're about to have another kid uh, Blake and um, so that was really when it started so it was a two-year process of trying to understand what what really we needed to do and uh, uh, I didn't want to leave Texas I wanted to stay in Texas (laughs) and uh, so we looked all over and just nothing fell into place again literally for 18 months and um, I was telling you my dad had uh, that condo in Aspen uh, or did I say that maybe I didn't say
0: say that. that but yeah
1: yeah, anyway, he had a buddy that lived in Grand Junction that I called and said, you know, is there any place in Colorado that might need an orthodontist? And he said Montrose. Didn't know where Montrose was. I mean, um, but we drove up here on a, on a 4th of July, um, like week. And then in six months, January 1st, we had moved to Montrose. And so it was a, you talk about uh, an opportunity, a real challenge, um yeah that's that was a huge thing I mean all my friends in Texas were like so jealous in the sense that we were going to Colorado but they were like you're so stupid I mean why would you leave what you got you know and you know I didn't tell you but my brother my brother's an orthodontist and he had he had come back and he was really I think I mean it's turned out great because he took over the practice and everything's been good but you know for those first probably you know a couple years i mean i didn't have any i didn't know anybody here (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i had to kind of make friends and um just start from zero but the lord was very faithful and you know he provided that first year we had a great year and just hadn't looked back since really
0: that's awesome and didn't you um didn't you write in your journal one time that you wanted to live by the mountains and live you know somewhere close to the mountains didn't you write that yeah i was doing you know back when they well we
1: still do it you guys still do it but you know your magnificent obsession so i went through this whole thing you know of all the different goals and values and then the very end was you know what's your magnificent obsession and i was out at the farm we had this property and i was spending the day going through all this stuff and i wrote down my magnificent um magnificent obsession was to you know live in a log house next to the mountains three kids two boys and one girl and have my wife fly fish with me that was, <laughs> that was the three things and uh yeah you know be careful what your magnificent obsession is because that happened pretty much except for my wife didn't, she hadn't learned how to fly fish yet <laughs>
0: But but she does go with you, though. She's, Sometimes you're right. She will go with me. That's a good point. She good. doesn't fish, but she'll go with you, though. So that counts. No, and I think that is awesome. That's something I think I learned from you know, in early ages to write things down, um, whether it's your goals or just anything that you wanted, just to remember things. Um, and that's something you've definitely helped me with and something I've honestly passed on to other people and guys I've coached. You know, I just think 'cause I think it's really important, I think it's you know it's how you can remember memories it's honestly how people can remember you once you're gone um and stuff like that too so but that's awesome, so I like to say you know I tell my you know when people ask me like where I grew up and where I'm from, I always say, you know I was born and raised in Texas, but I spent most of my life in Colorado, and I always said the promised land was calling because Montrose is the promised land is what you know, my brother and I call it. Cause it, it is, it is, it's a special place. Um, I'm very happy you moved there, but so you moved to Colorado, don't know a soul. Um, my little baby sister is being born too. Right. when right. When you guys were moving there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was it like kind of starting your own business? You know, I, that's a whole different world to me. Um, and you probably have little, had a little bit of money, but what was it like kind of starting brand new in a town you didn't know, creating a clientele and, um, you know, just being on your own now.
1: Yeah. Well, number one, I had the advantage. I knew what I wanted to be because I wanted to be what my dad was basically. And so I had, I had the vision and I knew how to do it. Um, I mean, I knew how to do the orthodontics now starting a practice. I didn't really know how to do that, but you know, you, you get ordered, you order all the stuff you need, you get your building re, uh, modeled, you bring the chairs, and then you go out and, you know, I mean, you just start meeting people, and you talk to all the dentists, and so you're kind of a salesman, and, uh, you know, encouraging them to, you know, send you some patients, <laughs> and and then you take care of people, and when you take care of people, then they tell other people, and then it kind of just snowballs from there, but, you know, it's it's about doing quality work, it's about, you know, loving people, caring for people, providing them um what they're paying for, you know, and and um building relationships. I mean, that's what's been great in Montrose. We've been able to really, you know, build a community and be part of the community. And um it's been it's hard work. We didn't have that much money. I mean, um I wouldn't get paid much down there. And then but it all, you know, we just kind of made it happen. We only had one car for a while and three kids and a dog. And it was, uh, it was kind of, it was, it was fun. It was really fun, but you know, the more money you make, the more complicated your life gets. So um, mm-hmm. it's um, it
0: was a, it was a sweet time for sure. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. I bet there are a lot of, you know, I can just imagine starting your own business, like, you know, maybe not doubts, but just, you know, probably have rough days you know, um, some hard days, especially with three kids, young kids, not having a lot of money in a new town away first time, you know, away from family. Um, you no, know, I, but, you know, it's just the same thing with you know, my wife and I just going and doing our own thing. You just grow so much together and grow as a family and, you know, it makes, that's why you and my mom are so close. It'd probably be a big reason of it. So absolutely. Yeah. You're
1: right. I mean, again, it's talking about the you face that adversity you know how are you going to respond and you know we just responded by getting closer together
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and your business blew up so now how long have you been in business and practicing in Montrose it's like uh about
1: 25 years yeah 24 25 years so now I'm kind of the old guy around I don't I don't think of myself like that but it seems like everybody's you know maybe a little younger than me now, but, uh, you know, we go to Telluride and we go to Gunnison. So that's expanded our territory a little bit. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, usually have like 15 or so employees. And so I got a, yeah, I got a great crew and um, great office and, and, um, you know, just going to kick it in for another 10 years or so and uh, have some fun doing it.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. And you got, you know, our, my brother, your other son is kind of taking your path he's in second year of dental school right now so hopefully he'll come and take over your business too one day so um we'll see what he decides to do but you also so if people don't know your love of football never went away either you, know, you when did you get into helping coach um at, at my high school at Montrose High School when did that all start
1: so this was like I don't know like in 95 so like 15, 16 years ago. And, um, you know, we would go to some of the high school games and even I remember Carrie looking at me after we'd been at the game for a while and she'd look at me and say, this team is terrible. This is not good football. (laughs) And, um, and so as, as it turned out the year, you were going to high school. Okay. First year in high school, we ended up getting a new coach, um, Todd Casepear. I mean, some of you guys have heard heard of him, but he's, at least in the Western Slope in Colorado, he's a he's a famous name. And uh, anyway, he came to Montrose, and he was trying to develop a staff, and Joe Garcia, one of the coaches at the school, was a buddy of mine, and and I guess Todd was asking Joe, you know, who else could we get? And he goes, well, you know, Chuck, he played at Tech. I mean, he, he might be able to help. And so, next thing I know, Casepear T- calls me. We go to Uh, breakfast and he pretty much tells me he said you need to come coach with us and I'm like what I don't know how to coach I don't I haven't even been around football very much lately and um, he goes yeah your son's coming you need to do it well we were just about to leave to go on vacation this was like maybe July or something July and leave on vacation and and so we left and Carrie and I talked about it the whole time we were in Costa Rica and stuff and then finally she just says Chuck you have to coach you have to help make this team better and once she said that then it was over so I just you know the thing is in in Colorado it's not such a you know football it's not as important like in Texas you know you have to be a on staff a teacher to be a coach and they usually start practice around one or two because it's part of your curriculum you know but in Colorado that's not the case it would you know, practice wouldn't even start till four o'clock. Well, if you're an orthodontist and you're treating a bunch of kids. You know, when do kids want to come? After school, four o'clock. But I just decided I'm going to give it a shot. And so I just said, okay, I'm out of here at four. And uh, so my staff, we worked really hard and I'd be scrambling out the back door, getting in my car, changing clothes and getting my whistle and go run to the field. And so so I did that, um, and it was—I mean, I just remember that first year, and you were a freshman, so I didn't really get to coach you. But you know, we had an unbelievable first year. Like before we started coaching, they were zero and ten, and the year uh, we took over, um, we were nine and two. So just a huge difference, and just just the, the show the importance of coaching, you know. And I'm not that me, but I'm just saying, Case Spear and the. The Eric Hanke and the uh, Steve Gaber and some of those guys that were there that just just really made a huge impact on those kids and I that's what I saw I thought wow this is a whole nother area that you can really have impact on people is coaching and and it's and it was totally different than being in the mouth and you had competition that's what I was dying for it's just you know, I, we have orthodont meetings, you go compare who has the best bite and best looking teeth, and i won all those, and I was just, I wanted to compete, man, and so it definitely fed, fed that hunger, and uh, so I started coaching then, and then got to coach you as a DB, and uh, receiver, and Blake, um, ended up being the defense coordinator for Four years, I think, and that was really fun too. Really be able to run the defense and um, you know game plan and all that part of coaching too. So it's been it was a great run, really, really great run, and uh, very thankful for the opportunity and for all the other coaches and players that I played with and worked with.
0: Yeah, no, I still remember when you. I don't remember exactly when you took it over. I mean, I just remember you were all of a sudden a part of the staff. You know, in middle school we felt like we were going to be a talented group kind of going into high school, but we never, I never went to a high school game until I was a freshman just because they were so bad. And so it was kind of perfect timing where coach K and that group came in um, with you. And I just remember we went to every game. I had all the press clippings because Montrose was hungry for football to be good again. You know, it's a, it's a one high school town, um, you know, I don't, it's not like West Texas, but if you're good at something in Montrose, people will show up in Montrose. And so this you got started to be good. The press clippings every week. I remember every Saturday I'd wake up and I would cut them out and I put them all over my wall. I don't know if you remember this, but I I I put them all over my wall and just looked up to all those seniors. And I just couldn't wait for our opportunity. And it was just a, you know, a perfect storm where from my, I didn't play varsity my freshman year, but for those four years with you guys, I think we lost, you know, I think we lost like eight games or something. It was, and it was just a great time. And I was very thankful that that happened to be my college career. And I think your staff really helped me and shaped me of me wanting to be a coach. Cause I got to obviously see you do it every day. And then I got to see like coach Hankey, coach k Spear, coach uh, Gaber who had been with me since I was in seventh grade. Um, and those guys really impacted me and kind of want, that's why I, honestly became a coach. So um, it was a great time. Um, okay. So that's awesome. So, and you just kind of retired from football, at least for a little bit um, to kind of take a break this past season, you know, and I think it's going to be really good for you, you know, and my mom just to kind of, you got some free up, go do whatever you guys want to do now um, and uh, until the next phase of your life. So um, kind of taking a, you know, you've been in a leadership role for a long time. Um, and you've probably you've been around other leaders well as coaches you know, your dad other orthodontists and kind of how they handle their staff um, what kind of leadership style have you taken on and why do you believe in that type of style yeah
1: you know some most leaders don't talk about this very much and and I'm just going to say it I mean the problem with trying to be a leader is that you fail a lot, you know, and um, I think that we see, you know, think in coaches, you know, like Saban or Chris Beard. we were just talking about tech basketball. I mean, you just see all the good things they do. But, you know, for me, to be honest, I mean, my leadership style is number the problem I have is I like things done right. <laughs> and And so that's what I have to fight against all the time is you know being too critical so I like to instead of being critical I try to encourage instead of being critical I try to teach um, and then being very uh, motivational trying to you know give people words of wisdom that they little nuggets especially in the Orthodox office I'll usually you um, you know, every morning I'll have a, something I want to talk about to every kid. And it's just the same thing over and over. But I think, you know, discipline and effort equals result. And there are no little things. I mean, that's one way I lead is by giving, um, little pieces of advice and truth, uh, to people. And then my faith is huge. I mean, I, I, I'm very, um, I mean, I'm not overbearing, but if there's a chance to pray for somebody in my office, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that takes a little boldness in your leadership. Um, and then creating that, that uh, culture. I know people use it all the time, but, you know, our, our mission statement, which is, you know, we want to provide the best care, uh, best orthodontic care in the world in a comfortable, efficient, effective way to create healthy, healthy, happy, paying patients, okay, so that's our goal, and so our our culture has to be that, we have to have that kind of feeling coming out all the time, and so, you know, we review a lot about, you know, what we are, and, you know, we want to be efficient, we want to be effective, we want to be comfortable, want people happy, want a good environment, Um, we want to be the best, I mean, I still, there's no I don't want to be looked down as he wasn't very good orthodontist. I mean, I want to be the best around and, you know, our state for that matter. So that, I don't know if that's a leadership style, but that's how I'd say, that's how I try to lead, you know, and prayer, I think is a big part of that. (laughs) I mean, I pray every morning with my staff and, um, but again, I don't want to act like, you know, I got it all figured out because, I don't, but it, um, I think you get up every morning and you go at it again, you know, and you just, and you build on every day. And you look back and 25 years later, you're going to look and see kind of what you left. So For sure, that's what I left. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I think, you know, you may say you're, you know, I think it's just, you're critical on yourself, you know um, but you've obviously been successful and whatever you've been doing has done a great job and, it's worked. You know, you're one of, you know, Western Colorado, um, you know, you're one of, it's a smaller town, but you've been very successful in a small town, but because it's because you're the best and there's not a lot of other competition because I look at it as people don't want to come in there because um, you're there and, you know, you've been kind of dominating and in, in a good way dominating, but, you know, I've done a lot of research in the past on different types of leadership styles and people may not know, um, you know, how they lead, or if it is, you can, you know, put it in a, a type of style. But everything you're talking about is servant leadership. in you know, in my opinion, what I've done, you know, there's autocratic and dictatorship styles, but, you know, being a servant, it comes across, um, you can come across kind of soft at times, but really it's not, it's just, you can still be, you know, um, hard on people and expect success and expect them to do a good job but at the same time you're leading by example and then like no small task is too big for you. Um, you care about people you're around, you put them first. And so that's why I think, you know, you kind of, you're hinting at you just didn't really all necessarily know it. You, you did cause you know everything, but they didn't know. So do you agree with me? Do you agree with the term servant leadership? And obviously, you know, our faith is big in our lives and the, the greatest servant leader of all time was Jesus. So, and we want to be like him, but um, do you agree with certain leadership and that's kind of who you are and, or you can disagree with me too. So. But no,
1: I mean, that's a great point. I mean, I would, that's definitely how I, I would like to be labeled. I, I guess I just kind of see the real me sometimes and, you know, it's, um, but I would agree that would be the, the leadership uh, style I would strive for and uh, encourage people to, to work toward for sure.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. There's been a, a bunch of different definitions of servant leadership that I've read and I've studied. If you could put it in like one to two sentences, how would you describe from your point of view, servant leadership? I know it's rough. That's a hard question.
1: But it is. I mean, but I mean, again, I would say, yes, you know, you need to be looking out for the other individual. Okay. Um, But at the same time sometimes looking out for the other individual means you gotta hold them accountable or you gotta uh you know even punish them okay because um there's it's not just a soft leadership i mean jesus didn't just soft leader he was a you know he was compassionate he was loving uh he he cared about people but when it you know got to the pharisees and the sadducees that were you know had this um the law that they were under, he, he confronted them and addressed it and dealt with it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a fine line between expectations, pushing people too hard and then loving people. And I think you got to start loving them first and then you can kind of move to the other stages of that you need. And once they know that you're, you're with them and you're going to take care of them, I mean, then they, then they start responding back. And, uh, and then they act like you. I mean, it's. I mean, a great example today. Okay, one of um, one of our patients. Horrible thing. Her her dad passed away. Just I mean he's like forty years old or something. Just had a heart attack or something. And you know, and my office manager who works all the accounts and stuff, um, you know, wrote me a note. Said this happened. Told me that the patient, the little girl that's got braces on, they owe this much money and because he died the insurance went away and and she just wrote to me you know dr chuck is it okay for me to write off the remaining part of her balance you know it was like two thousand dollars or something you know and and she's learned that from me because we've done that i mean unfortunately probably you know 10 to 12 times over the last you know years and it's just you know at a point i mean yeah two thousand bucks that's a lot of money but still considering what they're going through, you know, anyway, I, I'm not to brag, but I'm just saying my staff said, this is what we're doing, you know, and, and that's something that we have, I've taught her to do, you know, that's what we want to do. And so, yeah. um, you know, if you bring other people up, then I think you're uh, being a servant leader. Yep. That, was that two sentences?
0: That was, uh, that was a little more. Than two sentences. <laughs> but that's OK. I'll take it. I love it. Um, you know, I just think that, you know, growing up, one of the biggest things, you know, I saw you do and I, you know, the reason I, I always thought about being an orthodontist was early on was because the impact and how, how you could help people, you know, just making people's teeth straight, making them feel good about themselves. And you have time when they're in the chair, you get to talk to them. And you can really have an impactful um, you know, a moment with them to teach them something and help them, and that's what attracted me to be an orthodontist. Obviously, I did not like all the science and stuff behind it, um, but you know, but coaching's the same thing. And I think that's why you fell into coaching and you did such a great job at it because it's the same thing. You didn't, you just, but now you have to just coach young kids every day, get them to know that you love them and you care about them, and then coach them hard when they're not doing something right, and then love them up and then um, coach them hard again, and it's just, you know, it's just a, um, that's why I think you're so good at your jobs, because you, you know, you love and care about people, and it showed with all the, you know, the blessings you've had, and the success you've had in Montrose, it's awesome, all right, so I know I've taken a lot of your time, Um, I know Buckley over there is getting a little excited, your your dog, but final question, so you kind of, You've been through a lot. You've done a bunch of moves. You, you've obviously of stuff we talked about was a lot of positives, but I know there's a lot of hard times in there as well. Um, but what advice do you have to kind of the younger generation or younger people listening that are kind of going after their dream, going after their goals? Um, you know, today's age, I think a lot of people are in for the, you know, the short success, the money right away out of college. And, you know, maybe just taking that job because it pays well instead of, you know, really chasing after something that they want and maybe getting extra schooling, um, you know. Just what advice do you have kind of for younger people out there who, you know, just some encouragement to them?
1: Yeah. Well, first off, I'd say I think it's always been like that. I don't think it's just now that people are wanting instant gratification. I mean, I hear that all the time and I've probably even said it, but I I think it's always been, you you know, you want to get going, you know. And, um, um, but, I mean, you know, the process is so important because that's, you know, the ups and downs, the good, the bad. I mean, that's what makes you who you are. And, you know, I like the phrase, man, show up. I mean, people that show up and just keep fighting – and and you build it on days, you know. And you dream like I know you. You're dreaming like you're where you want to be in ten years. Well, that's great. But you 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 create that dream by every day building on it, you know. And if that would be my advice, is that don't waste a day. Don't don't be uh, impatient about you know. I got to get to the future. I got to get to this place because as soon as you get there. There's going to be another place you want to go. I, I mean, that's what I've learned, and uh, you know, being content, which is so hard to be, wherever you are, um, and then you know, getting up and working your butt off today, and then do the same thing tomorrow. And um, so, you know, it's it's not any sound. I mean, real spectacular advice, but that's that's uh, that's what you've done, and you know, all of our kids have just been and. It's been really good workers and getting after it. And and thanks Mac for letting me do this. This, oh, has, yeah, been, this has been so cool. I'm so proud of you, man. Oh. So uh, yeah, I mean, not just cause it's podcast, but everything that you're doing. So well, I uh,
0: appreciate it. I learned geez. as everyone can tell, I've learned from a great one. And you know, the last point I want to say is, you know, don't waste a day. I think that's, it's very true. And I heard someone say, you know, everyone says the grass you know, the grass is greener, or it's maybe not always greener, but the grass is greener. I said this on the last episode too. The grass is greener if you mow it and you water it. And so it'll be green if you mow it and water it. And it's just very true. So That's
1: nice. I like, can I keep that? I might well, steal that one from you.
0: I stole it from someone else. So <laughs> um, nothing
1: new, nothing new. I think Sadducees, somebody said that. Socrates, I think. Yeah. So, sure. Well, hey man, good job. Keep up the good work.
0: Well, thanks. Coming 3-1 three three one podcast? What does that stand for again? It's Ecclesiastes three one, and it, it says for every for every season for or for every reason there's a season um, that you're in right now. And that's kind of the whole base of the podcast. So, yes, um,
1: that's kind of what we're just talking about. about. All right,
0: man. Exactly, but again, uh, Doctor Chuck, Doctor A, Coach A, Coach Alexander, my dad. Um, I appreciate you being on, and I know the audience does as well, and um, I appreciate everybody out there listening to another episode of 3-1 Podcast, and we will see you next time.